Books and reading, at their very best, are a social experience. Whether it be a book club, a poetry slam, or the production of a play, words are meant to be shared. I'm your host, Amy. And I'm your host, Carrie. We've been in a book club together for over a decade and enjoy talking about what we're reading, but in so many ways, we are opposites. Carrie is a cat lover, but I'm a dog nut. Amy loves a good party, while I prefer to wear my fuzzy socks while introverting on the couch. But books are the tie that binds. Each week, we have fun conversations with interesting people about how books and reading influence their lives. We will find out what books are on their nightstands and ask them about five things that make them who they are. We invite you to learn more about the many perks of being a book lover. If you're a book lover of a certain age, you may have spent a lot of time reading authors like Judy Bloom, Paula Danziger, Gary Paulson, or Christopher Pike when you were a teenager. Although books began to be categorized as young adult as early as the 1960s, when we were teens, we didn't know that, and we certainly didn't care what the boring grown-ups were calling the books we gravitated to. While it blows our minds to think it has been 30-plus years since the end of the 80s and early 1990s, a lot has changed in the book publishing industry since the time when we were young adults. Young adult literature is everywhere and has many subgenres, including dystopian, romance, and historical fiction. Our guest this week, Mindy Jett, is a self-professed book nerd who still gravitates towards YA fiction, even though she has teenagers of her own. She talks about how reading YA is just like immersing yourself in a sci-fi world or a different time period, except it's the world from a teen perspective. We discuss how reading YA fiction has given her more insight into her own children and how much nostalgia from her own childhood plays into her love of books from that era. This is our last regular episode of 2020. Next week, we'll have a wrap-up episode where Carrie and I discuss some of our favorite books of the year that we overlooked during past episodes. Then we will take several weeks off for the holidays, but we'll be back in early January to start Season 4 with a whole new crop of cool and interesting bookish people. Our guest this week is a friend of ours, and she's also a book lover as well as a library clerk at a local elementary school. And she's going to be talking to us about probably her favorite genre. Her name is Mindy Jett. Mindy, thanks so much for joining us on this Saturday morning. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So we like to talk to all kinds of different readers, especially readers who like different genres. And I have known you for quite a few years and know that you really like YA fiction. But before we do that, why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm a Louisville native, born and raised here. I live in the Highlands, which I will never leave. I've always wanted to live here. So we bought an old fixer-upper, old farmhouse in the Highlands, which I love and still working on after eight years. Uh, I have a wonderful husband and we have three kids, 19, 16, and 15. And as for my job, working as a library clerk in an elementary school, it's definitely my dream job. I get to be with books and kids all day long. It's, I I really couldn't ask for anything better. So tell us a little bit about what kind of things you like to read when you were a kid or what your reading life was like. So as a kid, books were like my best friends. I was always an avid reader. I loved to read. I was kind of a shy kid. So getting into a book was natural for me. I was a latchkey kid. So my mom worked second and third shift. So either she was asleep when I got home or she wasn't there sometimes. And being alone in our apartment, she was a single mom. I just found books as a way to escape. 
a lot of times I consider the characters in the books sort of just to be my friends. I was basically raised by Beverly Cleary and <laughs> Judy Bloom and <laughs> Little House on the Prairie. Those were kind of the, my go-tos as a kid. And yes, I definitely felt naughty when I read Forever by Judy Bloom. <laughs> Didn't we all? <laughs> I I imagine if I picked it up again now, I'd still probably feel a little naughty. Right. (laughs) How has your reading life changed as you got older, you know, college age, and then now as a, I guess we're technically middle aged. So how has it changed or has it changed? I definitely think I went through a period where I didn't read as much. I think college, for sure, I was reading stuff for college. I read a lot of plays in college. I was a drama major, so I did read a lot of those, but I don't think I read for fun as much in college. And then once I was out of college, I I picked it back up. I'm still a very voracious reader. I read all the time. I'm almost always in the middle of a book. I used to reread books when I was a kid because that's what I had in the house and we couldn't go to the library a whole lot. So if I check something out from the library, I'd usually read it two or three times. But I don't really like to reread things much anymore because there's just so much out there that I want to read that I don't feel like I want to waste my time reading something I've already read unless, unless it is something that I read as a child that I want to revisit. One of my favorite books as a kid was From the Mixed Up Files of Miss Baisley Frankweiler. Yeah. And I have that one and I will pick that one up from time to time to read. I actually recommend it all the time to the kids at the school. But I do collect some series from when I was a child. Just started doing that like three years ago. So what collections do you have? There's this one series and it's called Twilight Where Darkness Begins. It's not like the vampire Stephanie Meyer series. (laughs) They're like teen horror stories. It's the same series, but all different authors. It's very similar to Goosebumps, I think but maybe geared towards a little bit older. So when I was a teenager, that's what I would read. And so I have all of those. I just finished that collection a couple of years ago. And now I'm working on getting all the Sweet Valley High books. Oh, yeah. So do you get them off of eBay or are you looking for like the original versions? I actually like the older ones. I'd rather it be like a well-loved book. I mean, obviously I don't want it falling apart, but I do want it to look like somebody's read it because that's what I remember because it was mm-hmm. a library book that I was reading. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I do try to find older, like more original. And as, with the Sweet Valley High books, they like went through a period where they redesigned the covers and I didn't like those. So I definitely go back to the original covers on those. But I usually pick them up through thrift books or if I happen to see them. I've gotten a lot, actually, from Half Price Books here in town. Oh. That first series that you mentioned, I've, I've never heard of that one. Were those hard to find? Yeah, I couldn't find any of those here in town locally. I get those on thrift books. And there were a couple that were kind of expensive. So I kind of had to save my penny. And they weren't super, I mean, like 35 bucks for a book, for a yeah. paperback, which is expensive for a paperback book, but like, I'm not breaking the bank or anything. But yeah, they were a little bit more difficult to find. You talked about rereading books. I wonder if that's just a thing that kids do, because I know for myself, I read the same books over and over and over and over again. I mean, like to the point that I would always eat a snack and read a book. Like that's just what I did. And I had reread them so many times that I could open them up at literally any point. And I could almost say them word for word. You know, it's not like 
when you pick up a book and you have to concentrate on, okay, where did I leave off? What was happening? Like I had read them so many times that I could literally start at any point. And I know with my 13 year old, he's rereading now all the Diary of a Wimpy Kid books. And he has like amulet books and he's read those. And so I wonder if that's just something kids do. I don't know. You know, it seems like when we talk to people, that's not uncommon, I guess. It's like picking up an old familiar friend. So in terms of the books that you read now, do you tend to gravitate towards YA? Is that your favorite genre? Or do you tend to read a little more widely? 99% of the time, if I'm looking for something to read, I will reach for a YA book. Normally, if I don't have something on my list already, and I'm just trying to pick a book, I will grab one of those because they are usually a quicker read and not necessarily lighter, but not as adult serious, I guess. I'm a very nostalgic person. So I feel like they transport back to sort of when I was a teenager and even all the crap that goes on when you're a teenager, I still really enjoyed being a teenager. And I'm, I'm really drawn towards quirky and unique characters. So two of my favorite authors are John Green and Rainbow Rowell. So if they have anything new out, I'll definitely go get those. Sometimes when I read YA, I get a little bit aggravated because the characters are typically teenagers. And I, I guess I'm reading it from the perspective of like, oh my God, this is so not a big deal when you consider what me as a middle-aged person and raising kids and having older parents. From my perspective, I get frustrated with the characters, but I can also see that, you know, being an adult and dealing with adult issues, it can either be frustrating to read about teenage problems or it can be like an escape. Oh my gosh, if only this was my biggest problem, you know? (laughs) I definitely think you have to go in like, with lower expectations, that sort of thing. I find my inner teen self relating to the characters, even if they're in situations I never would have been in or I will never be in again. It's just kind of the same as losing yourself in another world. Like it it could be a fantasy world or a historic time period, but it just happens to be the world of a teenager. And I, I really think there's still lessons to be learned from these books too. The problems might be geared more towards youth, but the themes and the emotions are generally the same. I just started reading more YA and middle grade books probably like in the last two or three years. And I've really gotten so I enjoy them quite a bit. And what I find is that, and I mean, not every single one, because, you know, you can't categorize a whole genre of literature, but a lot of times the characters just seem very fresh. And there are a lot of uniquely written YA characters, it seems to me. I feel like the characters look at things differently they're not quite as um jaded yeah they're not quite as jaded (laughs) yet they haven't been through all the stuff that we have gone through and that time of life even though there's a lot of angst and there's a lot of anxiety it's also a really exciting period of your life because everything that you're experiencing love and becoming an adult and all those things are brand new Mm -hmm. and when I read them it, it does take me back to that feeling of being excited about some of those things, which now they're just a part of life and don't seem like anything special. But at that period in your life, it was special. I think having teenagers as well, I like to read stuff from what today would be considered their their perspective. Because I know as a teenager, things were very different when I lived in the 80s and 90s. So reading stories from like a 2000s teenage perspective 
makes me feel like I can relate to them better as well. But I liked it before they were teenagers, but it's definitely like an added bonus. But it is, it's very refreshing, I think, sometimes to read something that's about characters that are not at all like you. (laughs) Well, Amy and I, this morning, we were texting each other about YA, and I thought we were going to have like a a knockdown drag out (laughs) on the recording because Amy texted me something. The way I read it was like, we didn't have YA books when we were growing up. And I was like, yes, we did. They just didn't call them YA. And so then I kind of went down the rabbit hole and I decided, I was like, okay, I need to look up what is YA. So the most generic definition of YA is books that are written for 12 to 18 year olds. Mm. And so, you know, within that very large umbrella, there are lots of different subcategories or or silos of different books. But Judy Bloom, we've mentioned her already. Judy Bloom technically is a YA author. I mean, I read every single one of her books and I started looking up authors from the 80s. Lurleen McDaniel, she wrote tons of books in the 80s. Lois Duncan, Gary Paulson, Carolyn B. Cooney, and Walter Dean Myers. So those were all authors from when we were growing up. I think the thing is, we just didn't call them YA. They were just... Right. We didn't book. It was still considered children's literature, or maybe it was considered juvenile literature. That was the mm-hmm. term that they used. They didn't call it YA. And and maybe it's just me. Maybe it was the kind of reader I was. Of all the authors that you just mentioned, the only one that I ever read was Judy Bloom. But I read the ones that were more geared towards the lower end of that age range, like 12, 13, like the, are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. I don't know if I would necessarily consider that YA. To me, that's more of a middle grade book. Did you ever read Paula Danziger? I think I did read her. I would consider her like a penultimate YA from the 80s. Yeah. But don't you think the genre of YA, yes, we did have YA when we were growing up, but it, it wasn't as popular a genre. Now, I mean, there's so many YA authors and there's so many series that are based off of YA books. I just feel like maybe this is it. It wasn't given the attention that it is now. I would definitely say that the the label of YA is a newer concept. And I think the YA books that are being written now actually might be a little bit more geared towards adult audiences as well. Yeah. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah. I feel like they're more for like 17, 18, 19 year olds, not 12 and 13 year olds. Because some YA is pretty heavy in the sexual content area and things like that, that you wouldn't necessarily be wanting your 12 or 13 year old reading. Well, I I think it's like the Judy Bloom book. She had books that were more like, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret, which was early, you know, 12 years, 13 year old. But then I read, I don't know how many times Tiger Eyes, which was about like a 16 year old. And then she had forever. Probably if we looked and a lot of these writers from the 80s, they also had those books that hit at different levels. I mean, I got to thinking about this and I thought, you know, there were books like The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton. That was something that was read in middle school age range, but that's about older characters. Well, like Little Women. I mean, technically Little Women, it's about a, you know, four teenage (laughs) girls. So, I don't think the books have changed and I don't think 
who the audience is geared toward has changed. I think just from the publishing marketing standpoint, that is what is different in terms of how they promote books and how they market the books. I think that's what's changed. But then that also brings me to another question, because I was actually going through my Goodreads list of books that I have read, looking for YA books that I have read recently. And there are some books that might have teenage characters, older teenage characters, but aren't necessarily YA or wouldn't necessarily. Like what? Uh, I'm trying to think now. I had I, one I must in my be, head. I must be ready to argue you about something be. today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in that mood today. Come on, Amy, give me some evidence. So I think Where the Crawdads Sing is an example of that. Would you consider yes. this a YA yeah. novel? No, no, not right. at all. But the, but the protagonist is a, I mean, you kind of see her from a young girl up until she's a young adult. I guess what I'm saying is, like, where's the cutoff? If your protagonist is a 20-year-old, is that... A, a YA um, novel or is that an adult novel? Or it, does it have something to do with content? Does it have something to do with the way that it's written and themes? Yeah. Well, I was making a list of YA books that I have read and enjoyed, kind of like what you were doing. And there's a book that I read and I actually got it for my daughter and it's called Never World Wake. But I think those characters are college age. So I don't know that I would call that young adult, even though I bought it for my 16-year-old. I think about the term young adult, though. I mean, I would say a college age girl or boy. Is a young adult, yeah. Is a young adult. So I don't know, maybe it's just a wider range and maybe there's subsections of early young adult, later young adult. I feel like nowadays everybody wants to label everything so much. I'm sure that's coming. <laughs> I think actually they do that at the oh, at yeah. our public library because there have been some books that when I have checked them out, don't say young adult. Maybe they say like younger teen or older teen and then and young adult. I could be wrong about this, but I no, feel I like right. I think they have like a teen section, and it's I think you're right. It's like YT, like young teen, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, young teen, older teen, young adult. Maybe that's to help readers know your young adult is probably going to have more mature themes than right. your young teen. So Mindy, are there any specific sub genres within YA that you tend to find yourself attracted to like romance or dystopian or sci-fi? I, I probably tend towards re just realistic fiction. Mm -hmm. uh, the quirkier characters, the better, but I do actually love a really good fantasy YA book if the world is built well. The author Sarah J. Moss comes to mind. She wrote a book series called The Court of Thorns and Roses. Yeah. They're really, really well done. She builds this world that's just amazing and you sort of get lost in it. So I, I do like fantasy YA books. I would probably read a fantasy YA book before I'd read a, like an adult fantasy book. And why do you think that is? Like what, what's the difference between the two besides just the age of the character? I don't That's know. Different. Like, I feel like the adult fantasy books are almost too complicated. Like, there's a way to build a world without it being overly confusing. Yeah, confusing <laughs> and almost too thought out. Sarah J. Moss, like I said, is she's just fantastic. And in Court of Thorns and Roses, it's a fairy world. And just the characters and the world that she's created, it's simple enough that I can dive in and not feel completely lost and confused from the first chapter. Mm -hmm. Like if it's too much information thrown at me about 
like if there's too many names and there's too many places and just different things that I've got to learn about, I tend to give up on that. I agree with you about the sci-fi fantasy. I am not a huge sci-fi fantasy reader. I hardly read any adult, but I can do some middle grade or YA fantasy. And and I, I'm not exactly sure why, except for it might be like what you said. It's like a little bit simpler somehow. Yeah. I don't like not knowing what's going on. I don't like feeling confused. And so I can't tolerate a book where like a whole new language, a whole new everything. That's like too much, too much for me. That's you why can't it enjoy has to be it. really well done for me to like it. I, I'm kind of the same way. You know me, I don't like those books that skip around time periods. <laughs> yeah. Like those drive me insane. I'm like, what time period are we in? And who is talking? <laughs> like, <laughs> through so much. But there are some of those that I do enjoy and that's because they're well done. Well, I know for myself, I am in... N.K. Jemison's second book in her Broken Earth trilogy. And I'm good with hers. But then when I read the Gideon the Ninth, oh my God, I never <laughs> got on that learning curve where I thought, I know what's going on. Like the whole book. I was like, I have no idea. I have no idea. I definitely can't get into a book if it feels like work to me. A lot of times if there's a glossary of terms in the front, I'm like, forget it. I won't even start it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's the middle age in us it's like i've maybe. only got, got a limited amount of time left in my life and i'm not going to spend it going through a glossary that's not going to i mean you mentioned sarah j moss but are there other ya books or series that you think someone that wants to start exploring that genre should definitely check out i really think as an adult anything by john green is a really good way to dip your toes into it because they're very intellectual and the characters are very rich. He writes YA characters, but he writes in a very adult way. It's just a very good marriage between YA and something a little older. One of my favorites by him is Looking for Alaska. Hmm. It's just really, again, quirky characters, but really good character development, really thoughtful yeah. One of his books made my list. I made a list of YA books that I particularly enjoyed and Turtles All the Way Down oh, made my list. Now, part of that is because I was drawn specifically to that because it's about a character with OCD and I have OCD and my son has OCD. So that was the draw. Now I have read The Fault in Our Stars and I liked it okay, but I think the reason I didn't respond as much to that one was mostly because it, it got so much hype. Any book that gets so much hype, it's it, it sort of automatically downgraded just because of the hype it gets, which that's just what I do. I mean, it's not fair to the book, but anyway. I tend to do the same thing if that makes you feel better. Good. <laughs> but I've been reading John Green long before that came out. And some of his earlier stuff is just so magnificent. Yeah. Looking for Alaska, Paper Towns is a really good one. And An Abundance of Catherines. Those are the three like first ones that I ever read and, and just fell in love with them with those. So I also love Rainbow Rowell, Eleanor and Park. She's got some really good quirky characters. And Eleanor and Park also does deal with some serious material as well. I think it's a good one that straddles the line between YA and adult. If you like futuristic or dystopian novels, there's one called War Cross by Marie Lu. And if you've read uh, Ready Player One by Ernest Cline, 
it's similar in feel of that. So it's very much in like a gaming world. I recommend this. A lot of people ask me, you know, I need a good book for a boy to read. And even though the protagonist is female, it's something that I think all genders can get into. And then, oh, and Becky Albertalli also writes some really, really good LGBTQIA. Mm-hmm. Uh, she wrote Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, which the movie Love Simon was based on. Oh, yeah. Um, and she writes a lot about LGBTQ characters. Okay, I'm sure Carrie's going to argue with me, and this is just my opinion. But that is something that I think modern YA does that it in our generation didn't as much. You didn't see a lot of LGBTQ books. There's a lot of LGBTQ YA fiction. I agree with that. Oh, Okay. <laughs> I think because it's just more acceptable. Yes, I yes. think so. Than yeah. It was when we were kids. Kids are more open and feel like they can talk about things like that. There was a time, I feel like, where kids were like begging for more LGBTQ material for them to read because that's what they could relate to. Mm-hmm. And now I feel like it's just exploded. Did you have any others on your list, Carrie? Oh, yeah, I got a bunch. Uh, the Book Thief by Marcus Zusak, mm. which, I mean, that's a historical fiction YA, but I'm actually going to be teaching that in January. I think that is a beautifully written book. I'm rereading it right now and love it. There's another one called Speak by Laurie Hulse Anderson. That's about, I believe it's about sexual assault. It's been a number it of is. years since I yeah. read that one. The Poet X by Elizabeth Acevedo. That's a a narrative poem. So it's told in poems. That one was awesome. I read that this fall and loved it. One that I read this fall is Ibi Zaboy's Pride, which is a a modern contemporary retelling of Pride and Prejudice, which at first it took me a while to get into it, but then I totally was on board and, and I thought it was really cool the way that she told that. And then one that I had listened to, this one that I'm getting ready to mention, I listened to it as an audiobook and it would definitely, I think, be more like in the 1314 range maybe of YA. I love the title of the book. It's called Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging by <laughs> Louise Renison. So it's a British author. But it was just kind of like a fun romp. But the character is a teenager and she's going through some situations. But it, it was chock full of lingo that <laughs> that Americans don't normally use. So that was part of the fun for me. A book that we actually read in book club, We Were Liars by E. Lockhart. I did like that one. Well, that one was on my list too. I loved that book when we read it. And I think that's a great book for people who like something like Gone Girl, because that book is a surprise. Let's just put it like mm-hmm. that. I wouldn't really call it a thriller, but it's... um Suspenseful. It's suspenseful and twisty. Yeah. So a couple that I had on my list... My favorites have been ones that I have talked about several times on here, so I'm not going to go into detail, but, you know, any book by Angie Thomas, so like The Hate You Give or On the Come Up, and I have liked Jason Reynolds, Long Way Down. Those are both amazing. But one that I read this summer when I was on vacation is called The Yana Halasi Writing Camp for Girls by Anton Disclafani. 
And this is actually historical YA, and it's set during the Depression. It is about a, a young girl in Florida. She's done something to displease her parents, and she's sent away to this boarding school in the mountains of North Carolina. And it's about finding out what happened and about her experiences at this writing camp. And I picked it because I was actually in the place. There is a true place called Yanahalasi in the mountains of North Carolina. And that's where I visited this summer. So it was kind of a a cool melding of my real life and my reading life. But that one, it's kind of a slow burn. It's more character driven than plot driven. But uh, I would recommend that one. One that I just read a few weeks ago is called Hole in My Life by Jack Gantos. And this is a memoir. But Jack Gantos is a Newbery Award winning author. He wrote the Joey Pigza series for like middle grade readers. Uh, And he's had a pretty interesting life. He was in jail for several years for smuggling drugs. And so this book, Hole in My Life, is his memoir, and it's geared towards middle grade and YA readers about how that happened and how he got involved, how he went to prison, what he learned from that, and how he then became a writer. In fact, I think I texted Carrie that I think it would be a good one to add to your creative nonfiction list that you do with your students. And then the last one I wanted to mention was one that I listened on audio, and it was amazing. This was several years ago, and it's narrated by Lin-Manuel Miranda, so you can't beat that. But the name of the book is called Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe. By, oh, my oldest love that book. Yes, it's so good. By Benjamin Alire Sinez. And this features Latino characters. It's about a friendship between two boys, and they both have some dysfunctional family issues going on, but it's sort of about how their friendship changes. I don't want to say too much about it because it kind of came as a surprise to me, and so I don't want to ruin that surprise for anybody else, but I highly recommend that one. I'm sure that the book version is wonderful too, but listening to Lin-Manuel Miranda narrate it was amazing. And what was that one called? Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe. Okay, I'm tagging it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's what I do when we have these. I'm like, why why doesn't Carrie know what's going on when we're recording? Because she's busy on Goodreads. (laughs) Well, and there's been two that I've talked about just a little bit on the show, but Rough Magic by Laura Pryor Palmer. When I read it, I didn't necessarily think of it as YA, but the, but it's a memoir also of a woman who did the Mongol Derby. She was 19 when she did it, and she it's the longest and toughest horse race in the world. That one was really good. And then another one was, now this is another historical fiction, but it's called Salt to the Sea by Ruta Sepetis, and it's a World War II novel set in Germany. And she writes young adult historical fiction. I've liked all of hers, but that one's probably my favorite. So what's your reading life been like since quarantine, Mindy? So quarantine honestly hasn't changed my reading life much. I've always been a big reader. I maybe have a little bit more time to do it now. So that's nice. Although honestly, with four other people in our house, I don't get a lot of free time. Mm -hmm. So that is one thing. I definitely read more at night. And I'm also, because, you know, we didn't have access to libraries for so long, I have been reading a lot on my Kindle, which you both know, but your listeners don't know. I do not like that. I would rather have the feel of the book in my hand. Mm -hmm. I'm very old school that way. I had bought a Kindle early on when they came out. Actually, I won it. It was free. And then I ended up selling it because I hated it so much. (laughs) 
<laughs> but I, I've learned to appreciate that now. It's not my preferred way of reading, but I, I don't actively dislike it anymore. <laughs> I'm right there with you on that. I tried reading a book on an iPad, I don't know, a couple of years ago. And I'm like, I totally don't like this. <laughs> and so I would avoid it at all costs. You know, if I couldn't get a book at the library that I needed, I would order a cheap copy, you know, from books or half price books or whatever. I mean, I would do anything but get a Kindle copy. But <laughs> since the quarantine, I have become a convert. I mean, I still love a real book. But it's just so easy to download it from the library or, oh my gosh, I feel like I go all in on things sometimes. And so I've been checking Kindle book deals every day. (laughs) But unfortunately, I find all kinds of things that I think, oh, I would like to read that. And oh, I'd like to read that. And it's only $1.99. And so now my my husband and I share a Kindle account. And he's like, I can't find any of my books on here. (laughs) We have to make you your own shelf. (laughs) Yeah, she texts me and she's like, I think I have a problem. (laughs) I'm like, yeah, you might. I've been spoiled a little bit because I'll be reading at night and it'll be like 11 o'clock and I'll finish a book, but I'm not tired and Mm. I want to start a different one. So I just download another one and I don't have to wait to go get it from the library. And I actually read it on my phone, which sounds really weird. And we used to have somebody in our book club who would read books on her phone. And I thought that she was bizarre. I'm like, how could you possibly (laughs) read a book on your phone? That is nuts. But that is where I read mine. And it sounds strange. But with the Kindle that I had, I don't know if it's an older model or something, but there was a delay in the swipe. But my phone, I don't have that same problem. I always have my phone with me. I don't always have my Kindle reader with me. If I'm in the car, I can just read or what have you. So I'm a phone reader weirdo. Working at an elementary school, you have done a book club in your elementary school. So tell us a little bit about how that works. So a couple of years ago, the principal came to me and said, I'd like for you to work with some of our gifted and talented kids. I'd like for you to do a little book club with them. So he gave me first grade, which I thought, how can you do a book club with first grade? It was so enlightening. We basically, I took these gifted and talented kids that they're reading above their grade level, but they need an extra challenge. So I'm not like teaching them how to read. I'm teaching them how to think when they read, basically. Mm. So discussing their thoughts on these books was a really great way to challenge them. And you'd be so surprised at what kind of insights these kids can have. And so I would have a group of like six to eight kids. And the very first book we did was Stuart Little, which honestly, I did not remember how immensely weird that book was. (laughs) (laughs) You all read that? It is really weird. No, I don't think I've ever read it, actually. It is a very odd book. But It was great for discussion because it was silly stuff that these kids could relate to, but they had like some really interesting insights into them. It it was actually really fun. We were still in school at that point. So they would read a chapter and then once a week we'd meet and discuss that chapter. So that was Stuart Little, but I've also done Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing with some third graders and a kind of lesser known title called The Green Book by Jill Patton Walsh, which is really interesting. It's a book that was written in the 80s about a futuristic trip to inhabit a new planet. So it was like futuristic fiction, the sci-fi from the 80s, taking place probably in like now in their mind, you know? <laughs> yeah. was, that was a really interesting. So now during NTI, you know, everything's on the computer. And so I actually meet with these third graders every day and we read the book together. So I bring it up on my Kindle and 
they take turns reading, so they get to practice their reading. And then we discuss things like how they relate to the characters or you know, what they would do the same as them or differently. We make predictions about what might happen later in the book. And we really just kind of talk about whatever they want to comment on. So sometimes they'll point out something in the book that I hadn't even thought of. I mean, they teach me as much as I teach them. <laughs> I mean, because you're in an adult book club. Have you had any challenges with a book club with six-year-olds? It's hard for me to imagine how <laughs> to imagine it, I guess. <laughs> I mean, focus is a big issue. Yeah. You know, sometimes they'll get off on a tangent. I mean, you know, it's like one kid says, I have a puppy. And the other kid says, I have two puppies. And the other one says, (laughs) my puppy died. You know, it always ends up on like a totally different tangent. So yeah, I mean, that's definitely a challenge. But honestly, it's really not that much different from an adult book club, but just there's no wine. (laughs) (laughs) Our book club has been known to get off on tangents. It's like, would y'all get the book, please? We're talking about the book. And I mean, these are women in their 40s and early 50s. So come on. So yeah, I mean, minus the wine, it's about the same. <laughs> it seems like not too long ago, you were doing something where you were trying to read. There was a list of top 100 books for kids or something like that. Right. I'm actually still working through it. I had bought a book at our book fair, actually, a couple of years ago called 101 Books to Read Before You Grow Up. And it's an adorable little book. It's got great little illustrations and it just gives from picture books all the way up to, I think the last one might be Harry Potter or Wonder. I can't remember. All levels, but just books that you should have on your reading list that you should read before you quote unquote grow up, which you know, I'm never going to grow up. So that's, that's good for me. You know, you rate the book in there. It's got little stars that you feel. It's definitely geared more towards elementary and middle school age, but it gives you a little place to put your comments about what you thought about the book and which was your favorite character. And it's just been fun for me. I'm a list person. So I like to check things off and it's been a really good checklist for me. So like if I'm looking for something to read and I'm not finding anything that I really am in particularly interested in. I'll go back to one of those and pick one of those books out. I think I've got like 20 books left to read in that. Wow. That but sounds like every- a perfect Christmas gift for someone to give to the young reader in their life, actually. Yeah. If, you, if you've got somebody who just can't get enough reading and just are always looking for something to read, like I said, it starts from like picture books, you know, where the wild things are is in there. And, uh, and then it goes up to like, uh, you know, holes and wonder and inside out and back again. I don't know if you've heard mm-hmm. that story, but it's a wonderful story. So just all different kinds of genres and lengths and challenges. Yeah, it's fun. I think I learned something about YA today. <laughs> we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what we're currently reading. We are back with Mindy Jett and with Carrie, and we've talked about a lot of YA, and I'll be interested to see what kind of books we talk about now. What have you been up to, Carrie? So I found this book. I was looking for graphic novels, and it's funny because I don't know what exactly qualifies as graphic novels. To me, graphic novels are books that are from beginning to end, like 100% illustration right or maybe like brian selznick you know he's got the hugo cabret book which is 
a lot of text, but it's also probably like 30% text, 70% illustration. So to me, that's what a graphic novel is. The book that I am reading now, and I'm almost finished with it, is called Where the World Ends by Geraldine McCochran. And it has a tiny illustration at the beginning of each chapter. To me, that's not graphic novel, but the story is really good. I believe it's based on a true story. I haven't done the research yet. It is about a group of three adult men and probably 10 boys that lived on the Scottish island of Herda. And they would go out to these, they're called stacks. And it's basically like a giant rock in the middle of the ocean. And it's where a lot of birds will go to nest each year. And this was in like the 1700s. And these men and boys, they would take a boat out and they would go to the stack, collect birds and bird eggs. And then they would take them back to the island, right? So this was something that they did every summer. Well, in this one particular year, the boat didn't come back. And so these boys and men are trying to survive on what is basically a giant rock. There's no trees. There's no grass. It's literally a volcanic rock. And so I think the little bit I've read, they had to survive like 10 months before somebody came. Now, I don't know yet what prevented the people on the island from coming to pick them up again. But it's really fascinating. And I would say that this is YA because it's about these, you know, teenage boys. It's like at first when I started reading it, it had that Lord of the Flies. <laughs> I was just going to mention that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The same thing. yeah. Now the thing is there are adults, but you know, it's, it's just really interesting. And the fact that I'm pretty certain it's based on a, a, a real event. So it has that historical fiction thing going on, but it, it's not like reading a, a history textbook. So I didn't even know that, that these Scottish islands exist. And so I have learned some things about, you know, these islands and what it was like, you know, and up until, I don't know how many years ago, people actually still lived on these islands, but eventually they were evacuated because they were just so far away from everything. And I think because of technology, young people started leaving the island. So the population started going down. But this book won a 2018 Carnegie Medal. So it's called Where the World Ends. And I have been enjoying it a lot, more than I expected to, but it is not a graphic novel. I would call that illustrated. Exactly. It is illustrated. Yes. That's what we call illustrated novels, you know, in the library. The graphic novels are the ones the kids always call them. Where are the comic books? And we don't yeah. have actual comic books, but that's what they that's what they mean. And then the illustrated novels are more like Diary of a Wimpy Kid that have pictures throughout them and things like that. So yeah, it's a fine line, but but yeah. So Mindy, what what have you been reading? <laughs> you all are going to be very shocked to know that I'm actually reading a historical fiction book. <gasps> what? <laughs> That I chose on my own. I mean, it's kind of historical fiction. It's very different from what I normally read. It's called Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. It was just on the list of the Goodreads Reader's Choice Awards. Not this past one, but the one before that. So it's been on my to-read list for a little while. But it's very different. It's an interview style. So it, it definitely goes between different characters. And it's quick. It's not like a chapter or character. It's like a couple paragraphs a character. Um, and it's set in the 70s about a fictional band, but it's based on like anecdotes from that time. So I'm only about a third of the way in it. It's interesting. I don't love it yet, but I can see myself getting into it. 
So that's one that I was thinking about for you because I know that you love music, but I was hesitant to recommend it because of the way that it's structured. But I listened to it by audiobook, and I wonder, obviously keep reading it by book form if you like it, but listening to it on audiobook, it had a full cast, so there was a different actor doing each character. And so it was sort of like listening to a documentary. Because it is, you know, someone is making a documentary about yeah. this band and the life of their band and interviewing lots of different people in the band, related to the band. So in the audiobook, you know, there's different people playing those characters and it is like listening to a documentary. And at the very end, they actually have performance of one of the songs that's that's in the book. So if you continue and you're not loving the actual book form, try the audiobook. I don't typically listen to audiobooks. I've only tried to listen to one book ever on audio. I'm not an auditory person. I struggle to like stay focused when I'm just listening to things. I have to be doing something in particular. So like podcasts are fine because they're shorter and I can like walk or do something. But with a book, I feel like I need a little bit more time to sit and delve into it. But I think this might be one that I, that would be a good way to get my feet wet with audiobooks because it's got shorter little Yes. I listen to a lot of audiobooks, but I'm very particular in which ones I can listen to. They have to be super engaging or otherwise my mind wanders off. And this one was definitely super engaging. And I could, yeah. So maybe give that a try. But I think the content is something that you would really enjoy. So I'm glad to hear that you're trying (laughs) that one out. So Amy, what have you been reading? So the book I'm going to tell you about today is definitely not a book that you are going to want to add to your TBR, Carrie. I can tell you right now. Yeah. (laughs) Is it about cooking or Christmas or both of those? No, just Christmas. So I just finished a book called My True Love Gave to Me, and it's a collection of 12 holiday stories by YA authors, and it was edited by Stephanie Perkins. And so... You know, I like to read seasonally, and I also have decided that I want to incorporate more short stories in my reading life after we had guest Ellen Burkett-Morris come on our show and talk about her collection of short stories called Lost Girls this past summer. But after that, I thought, you know, I really need to incorporate more short stories into my life. So this was a way for me to do that. This is a collection of short stories by well-known YA authors, and they include Rainbow Rowell, Gail Foreman, Jenny Hahn, David Levithan. And so what I decided to do when I picked this up from the library is that I would read one story a day during December. The thing that I have found about short story collections is that I have trouble sustaining reading a collection for a huge chunk of time. Like I can't sit down and read like three short stories unless they're very, very short. I need small chunks of time, I guess, to do it because I I kind of lose focus with it. So reading one a day was really the perfect way for me to do it. This book's a little outside of my norm because all of these stories are romances. And I don't do a lot of romance, but since the pandemic, I've been leaning towards more feel-good stories. And so this satisfied that need. But what I liked about this collection is that it featured a wide range of communities. So there's a story that features a Jewish character. There's several stories about Latino characters. There's a story about an LGBTQ couple. And there was a variety of writing styles. In fact, the very last story in the collection was by Lainey Taylor. And her story was a sci-fi fantasy leaning towards dystopian story that I guess you could call a romance, but it happened during Christmas time, but it, you know, definitely wasn't a, you know, a Hallmark Christmas movie. And 
some of these stories were much heavier on the romance than others. You know, I said I don't read a lot of romance at all, but somehow YA romance feels different to me than adult romance. Because when you're a teen, so much of your life revolves around finding a boyfriend, a girlfriend, finding someone who gets you as you are at the same time as you're trying to figure out who you are. So I guess teen romance is more nostalgic for me and helps me remember what I felt like when I was 16 and 17. And with any collection, you're going to like some of the stories much better than others. But it did introduce me to some new YA authors that I may now want to explore more of their work. For instance, I really enjoyed the story by Gail Foreman and Matt De La Pena. So I'm going to see what else that they've written. So if you want to try out some short story collections, if you like some holiday reads, you might give it a try. Not for you, Carrie, probably. Not Although I think that you would like it, Mindy. Carrie, not so much. Although the last story that I was telling you about that was. <laughs> that one seemed good. <laughs> I'm like, let's see. Look, romance, Christmas. I know, baby. totally not your oh jam. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I guess they can publish books that aren't things that Carrie would like. So Mindy, Carrie does not like any kind of like holiday read. <laughs> we just try to gloss it over with sentimentality. Yeah. But the truth of it is that it's a bunch of people getting together who secretly hate each other <laughs> and would rather be doing other stuff. The people who are complaining about not getting together during 2020 Christmas, I don't know. They're weird. A lot of us are going, oh, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to ask Mindy her top five. We are back with Mindy Jett, and we're going to ask her her top five. So question number one, for many years, you attended comic cons around the country. Explain what cosplay is, and what is the top favorite costume you created for going to one of those? So these comic cons that I go to or went to, and I think I haven't been to one in a couple of years, were really very specific. They were only geared towards one show, and that show was Supernatural, which was on the WB for a couple of years and then changed to CW. They're actually really pretty special. They're not like a, a large comic con. They're very intimate. That con world is very intense, <laughs> and the fans are not only really into the show, but it creates this family that the actors have actually become a part of. So it's really hard to describe, but it's super amazing to be a part of when you feel there and you just feel so energized. And the actors have been really involved in it, in these cons. They're not super arrogant or anything. Some of them will just hang out with us on off days. So it's just a really, really cool environment. And cosplay is part of that. A lot of people like to dress up as characters or different aspects of the show so it's basically a glorified costume that pays homage to the show it can be a character it could be an interpretation of a character because sometimes they'll have people like dress up like steampunk style insert character here so they'll do a little, a little interpretation or they'll even do like an entire shtick from the show like there was this one show where they found themselves transported into a, like a Japanese game show. And so these two girls made a game show set and walked around with it. It was crazy. People oh my really, gosh. really get into it. <laughs> but I think my favorite, there was this one episode where one of the main characters has an old imaginary friend that comes back. And one of his imaginary friend cohorts has been killed. There's an eight-year-old girl and it's her imaginary friend. And I dressed up like the eight-year-old girl, complete with like crown and cape and 
crazy colorful leggings. And then my friend Deborah, she and I, we always went together. She was my imaginary friend who was a unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) In this like really crazy fur jacket and everything. But I constructed a unicorn wig out of my husband's 3D prints. So he 3D printed the horn and I used like this blue yarn and I created this huge unicorn mane wig. And I'm just super proud of it. I still have it. So question number two, you are a big hockey fan, which some people may think is a little unusual for someone living in a place that gets very little snow. So how did this passion begin? And what is the top thing you enjoy about hockey over other sports? Well, I'm not a sports fan by any means. It's literally the only sport that I watch besides my daughter's field hockey team, which is essentially the same thing, only not on ice. But believe it or not, we did used to have an ice hockey team here in Louisville. We had a really old one like called the River Frogs, and then they got bought out by the Florida Panthers. So we were the Louisville Panthers. They were a lower level team. It wasn't NHL, but it was in the late 90s, early 2000s. And my husband and I would go to those games because where he worked at the time had season tickets and you could request the tickets for whatever night And we'd get them frequently because not a lot of people would go to them. And we got really bummed when they got disbanded. We had so much fun at those games. And it's just really an invigorating environment. But then later on, we took a family trip with our kids to St. Louis and decided to go see an NHL game. We thought it'd be fun, something fun to do with the family. And then we all just fell in love with the St. Louis Blues. So I know it's not even like the closest NHL team, but we just really, (laughs) we just really got into them. And it was cool to see the kids get into something like that as much as we did. Like, we're all yelling. We're like, go, you know, because we're not a sports family at all. So it was just interesting. And it's it's an invigorating game. It's fast and exciting. And it's not boring. I feel like some of the other sports are just, for me, they're just boring to watch. There's not a whole lot going on. I don't understand the rules or anything. But I'm never bored watching hockey. The guys get a bad reputation for being goons because they fight on the ice a lot. But they're actually really skilled athletes. And it's fun to watch them fight. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Question number three. You say you have an eclectic taste in music. Tell us about the types of music you like and your musical advent every year. And what is the name of the top song or bands that you like to introduce people to? Yes, I'm a music lover. And music, it's very attached to emotion and memory for me. So like I can hear a song and it'll take me back to a specific time or place or event in my life. I do tend to gravitate towards alternative or indie music, but I can appreciate just about anything. I'm not a huge fan of country or rap in general. But again, if it's something that moves me or is attached to a time in my life, I'll definitely enjoy it. Several years ago, a friend of mine introduced me to this notion of this music advent on Facebook. And there's like a group that puts out a theme every year. And the idea is to bombard your feed every day in December leading up to Christmas with awesome music that isn't Christmas music. So there's a theme you follow. Past ones have been like alphabetical by artists. So like December 1st, you do an artist whose name starts with A, and then you go down through the alphabets. One year they did a chain reaction, which was super fun. So like you picked a song. And then the next one had to relate to it in some way. And it didn't have to be the same way every time. So like if your first song was a cover song, then the next song could be a cover song. And maybe it had a girl's name in the title. So your next song could have a girl's name in the title. And that was a fun ah. idea. And then this year, I kind of feel like they phoned in the theme. They just kind of threw out. 
Aren't we all phoning and everything at I this know, point? Right? And they're like, well, it's 2020 and everything kind of sucks. So let's just say songs that make you happy. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, how can I make that a little more interesting? So I went a step further and I'm connecting each song to a happy memory in my life. So when I post the song, I talk about the memory that it's attached to. And I know probably some people in my Facebook feed get annoyed with it but a lot of people tell me they actually look forward to it and then after it's all done I make a Spotify playlist with all the songs on it and I love going back and listening to those those are awesome that's cool I I love introducing people to to new music it's like one of my favorite things is interesting covers of songs like it's a fast song and they cover it acoustically and so the one that I recommend everybody listen to at some point in their life is Obadiah Parker's it's a slow and stripped down acoustic version of Outcast Hey Ya. Oh, wow. It does not disappoint. I highly recommend you listen to it. It's actually a really beautiful song. <laughs> That's very cool. Yeah. So question number four, you are by admission a collector of things, different types of things. So what are some of the things you collect? And is there one that's at the top of your wish list right now? Oh, I collect so many things. <laughs> I still have boxes of things that I collected when I was a kid. So again, it all goes back to the nostalgia of things for me. Um, it's not that I live in the past, but I hang on to memories of those things that to grab onto. I do suffer from anxiety and depression. And so it's one thing that I like to hang on to to sort of help pull me out of that at times is my good memories. And when I look at my collections, I really feel that. My daughter and I have started collecting NHL hockey cards. They're like baseball cards, but with hockey players. And we have this really weird whole ritual. Like when we get a box of them, we unveil them to each other. Like we each take a pack and we'll do one at a time and we'll tell who it is. It's just really strange. We have so much fun doing it. And it's super satisfying to see these gigantic binders full of these cards. I don't know. There's something satisfying about a collection that you like can sift through like that. I also have a collection of mugs. I just love mugs. I drink a lot of tea. So anything that relates to a special time or just something that kind of looks fun to me. Right now, my favorite mug is the one I got from seeing Rent last year. So my husband and I went to see it in Chicago for our 20th anniversary, which happened to also be the same year that was the 20th anniversary of the musical. Uh And that's really special to us because he actually proposed to me the night that we saw Rent. So, oh my gosh, it was kind of a neat little tie-in. So that's probably my favorite mug right now, but I did just ask for a Sweet Valley High mug for Christmas. Oh, very (laughs) cool. Well, I am also a collector and I come from a family of collectors and I feel like it's, it's a positive and a negative. It's a positive in that people feel like they always know what they can buy you. The negative is that people always know what to buy you. And so you're overloaded with things sometimes. Yeah. I collect nutcrackers, which was great. And people gave them to me for many years until I got so many. I don't have anywhere else to put any more nutcrackers. (laughs) It's a double-edged sword, I feel like. All right. So when you moved into your house several years ago, you claimed one of the rooms as your craft cave. So describe to our listeners what it looks like and what is the top type of crafting you are currently doing? Yeah, I love my craft room. It's so nice. This is the first time I've had like a dedicated space for my crafting. I mostly do paper crafts, scrapbooking mostly. I have over 30 scrapbooks filled with layouts of memories and that I hope to pass down to my kids someday, actually, if they want them. But they each have their own series of books and each one's a different color. So again, it's a nostalgia thing. I like keeping memories. But my room, it just, it sparks so much creativity. I'm sitting in it right now, actually. It has windows all around three walls. And there's so much natural light. 
I like to decorate found objects and furniture. So this, the furniture and the way it's set up is very like shabby, eclectic retro. So I use an old 50s diner style table for my work table. I have vintage aprons hanging the windows as my curtains. And then my favorite thing is my retro Kit Kat clock. You know, the ones that oh, are like yeah. shaped like a cat and his eyes move back and forth and his tail is swinging. Yeah. That's one of my favorite things to look at. It doesn't even keep time anymore, but I, but I like to look at it. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. only thing is I wish it was bigger. Talk about clutter. <laughs> and all those crafting things take up lots of space. I have a closet that I have all my stuff. The thing is you buy something for a project, but then you always have like a little bit left. It seems or like. A lot. Left. Or a lot left. And you're like, well, I can't just throw it away. And then it goes into your craft, for me, craft closet or craft room. And then yeah. you never use and it again. you can't find it when you need it. Though. Exactly. And so then you end up buying more when you actually do need that item again because you can't find it. I definitely have three rolls of clear, transparent contact paper. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of what I could collect. Like maybe shrunken heads. I don't know. I think it should be like... <laughs> You collect t-shirts. You collect. I uh, yes, I have started to collect t-shirts. But even with that, like, there's a limit. Okay, how many of these am I actually going to collect? Mm, I don't know, Mindy. It has been so fun breaking up this Saturday for me because I'm going to be in the house. Probably all of you all are going to be in the house all day today. So it's been fun to talk about YA fiction. Thanks for agreeing to chat with us. Thanks again for having me. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes for any episode, please go to our blog site at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. Follow us on Facebook at Perks of Being a Book Lover and on Instagram at Perks of Being a Book Lover Pod to see what we're up to and when new episodes air. If you enjoy our show, spread the word and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other listeners find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots, community-based radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts.